I'm excited you're here today. I'm Mark Lanier. If I've not met you personally, I wish that I could from a socially distant uh, uh, perspective. And it is an honor to me that you are here. The Wilsons have arrived, so now we will start class. Now, the <laughs> I just said that for Ava's sake. Here's the introduction to the class. You ready? Very few things just start from scratch. I've got an iPhone over there. My iPhone is an iPhone 12. Before that, there was an iPhone 11. iPhone 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, blast off. They've had those things going forever. But even those came from other phones. Few things are created from scratch, right? Same is true of the American legal system. It wasn't set up from scratch. You didn't have guys just sit there and gals just sit there and just say, hey, let's just start from scratch and write a brand new legal system. It's not the way it happened. The United States built its legal system off of the British system. They figured, here's stuff we like, we'll keep that. Here's stuff we don't like, we'll change that. But our legal system was built off of something else. Uh, uh, Sharon Hemphill's up here. She does uh, uh, legal work, and, and I'll guarantee you she does it the same way we do. I've never talked to her about this, but I guarantee you it's the same. So much of what we do, we take a form. In fact, I have a book, Lanier's Texas Legal Forms that people buy because they want to use our forms. I hate to break it to them, but I probably stole someone else's forms. Modified them to make them my own. And those are the forms that we use at our firm. And other people will take those and they use those forms. They may tweak them and change them, but very little of this. Now, the British system wasn't written from scratch. It was built off of ecclesiastical law. And so... The, the British system of, of law is built from ecclesiastical and biblical and to some extent even Roman law. But Roman law at that point, the Justinian Code, was written off of biblical law. So you've got all of this stuff that just grows from other things. You with me? Don't forget this. It becomes relevant later. But right now, stick it on a shelf. Just don't forget it. Don't forget it, because it does become relevant later. But we are talking about the Ten Commandments. God willing, and the time allow, we're going to make it through two today. You will not steal. You shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I'd like to talk about both of those. We may not have time to get to the second one, because uh, I need to end a little early to get down there to get ready to tell everybody not to commit adultery. Um, spoiler alert, don't do it. Okay, now, what we're doing with these commandments in this class is we're looking at them in three perspectives. First, we want to see the commandment and what it says for face value. Let's just look at it and examine it on its face. But we don't leave it there. What this class is also doing is seeing how those commandments are a reflection of God, the lawgiver. Now, I've covered that exhaustively in this class. But 
I've got to make that point next service. So five minutes of next service sermon you will have heard before. Don't go to sleep and don't ignore it. Just act like you're in the know. Just elbow your neighbor and say, yeah, I already knew that. Okay? But I got to tell them because they haven't been in here. Okay. Reflection of God. Law reflects the character, the ethics, and the concerns of the lawmaker. And so we want to look at these commandments and see how they reflect the character, the ethics, and the concerns of God who gave the law. And then the third thing we'll do is apply it and see how does this apply to me? How does this change the way I live? So let's start with that first commandment, you shall not steal. Or if God wrote in King James, thou shalt not steal. Which is 1611 language for don't steal. Now, we start, number one, face value. It's pretty simple. Don't do it. That's what it says. Don't steal. Don't steal if it's big. Don't steal if it's small. Don't steal if it's valuable. Don't steal if it's a pack of gum. Don't steal if it's important. Don't steal if it's unimportant. Don't plagiarize. That's stealing ideas, stealing language, stealing international, I mean, I, in, uh, in intellectual property. Got my nephew Davis over there, law student, second year law student at Wake Forest. Plagiarism will get you kicked out of law school because it's stealing. What does it mean to steal? Well, the Hebrew word for stealing, you've got it right there, ganav. Ganav means to steal or to take by stealth, to take wrongfully, to trick. It's got a wide semantic range of meaning. Let me give you some passages of scripture to give you an illustration. Genesis 31, 19 and 31, 20 are really interesting. This is the word, thou shalt not ganav, okay? Look, look at somebody one day, if you see somebody like stealing a pack of gum, you should look at them and say, thou shalt not ganav. They may not know what you're talking about, but you'll Unless it's happening in Jerusalem, then they'll know. They'll say, oh. All right, look at this. This is a story, background of the story. Jacob, who is a descendant of Abraham, Jacob has, is a twin to Esau. Jacob has fled from Esau because Esau wanted to kill him because Jacob had been cheating Esau. Jacob finds his uncle Laban, and falls in love with his daughter, um, Rachel. Thinks he's going to marry Rachel. Uh, gets dumped uh, with Leah instead. That's probably not real polite to say. Gets dumped with, but I think that's the way he would have said it. Because he wasn't planning on that. And it'll teach him to get too tanked at his wedding. Because he doesn't realize it till the next morning. I'm just reading through the lines. 
So next morning he wakes up, wrong girl he married. So he goes back to his father-in-law and says, I wanted the other one. You made me work seven years for this. Father-in-law says, I'll give you the other one, but you've got to give me another seven years because you've just took two of my daughters at that point. That's 14 years of labor. That's what you've got to pay. And he says, okay. But then it reached a time where his 14 years was up and he was ready to leave and to take his wives and children and, and sheep and things with him. And so they do, but when they do, it's not all done right. So look at verse 19. Well, it starts at 17. Jacob arose, set his sons and wives on camels, drove away his livestock, his property he'd gained, the livestock in his possession that he'd required in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. And then we hit verse 19. Laban, that's his father-in-law, had gone to shear his sheep. And Rachel, that's Jacob's wife, stole her father's household gods she ganoved it Yet thou shalt not ganov but Rachel was a ganover wasn't good look at the next verse and Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him he intended to flee do you know what Tricked. Do you know what that is in Hebrew? Ganav. Rachel ganoved the gods. And her husband ganoved his father-in-law. He stole by taking off without telling him. He tricked him. He through stealth did something that was wrong acquired a status that really wasn't his to acquire in that way wrongfully did it he ganoved Laban by not telling him that he intended to flee okay that should make you say hmm ganov may have more in it than I thought yes it may look at 2nd Samuel 19 verse 3 Thou shalt not ganav. 2 Samuel 19 verse 3. This is when David's in trouble. Now David's not led a pristine life. He's done some messes and boy his family is showing some of it too. Behold the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. Absalom was the son of David. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. They gnobbed into the city. They, as people gnob in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. Ganov is doing something, acquiring a status or an item or an idea that you don't really have a right to, at least under those circumstances. That's Ganov. 
So I've given it to you from both of those. Now, that's the face value. What I'd like to do is I'd like to talk next about the, how this reflects on God. Face value, don't ganav. Don't steal. Don't acquire something, even a status that's not yours in, in the way that you're going about getting it. We've got to be real careful not to read these commandments and just take the English translation at face value without doing the word search behind it. So, here's your point. This is the application. Or not application. This is what it reflects about the nature of God. You ready? God is interested in you. You might say, well, of course he is. But some people don't think that. Some people think, man, he's got 8 billion people. He's got to deal with all of these problems in the world. Why does he care about me? I'm a gnat. I'm not even the wing on a gnat. I'm nothing. Wrong. Wrong. God exists outside of time. That means between every second that we have a heartbeat, God has an eternity. God is not unable to understand everything going on among 8 billion people at any moment in time because every nanosecond that exists in time, God has eternity in that gap. That's the transcendence of God and the eternal nature of God. God is interested in you. And if you and I realize that, it will transform our lives. If we understand that God is so interested in us that he wants us to have discipline... Don't go gnobbing around. God says that because God wants you to be the best you that you can be. And you're not the best you you can be if you go gnob your father's gods. Or if you sneak away and gnob his daughter and your job without telling him. I, I, we've got a bunch of people at my law firm, and, and sometimes people quit. And that's fine. We live in America. If they've got a better job, if they've got a better opportunity, or God wants them somewhere else, I say, God bless you. Let me help you quit with ways that take care of the job, but also put you where you need to be. We've got a magnificent young lawyer who's just wonderful, wonderful lady. Her name is Monica. And Monica last week said that she was going to quit because she has a chance to become a, an assistant U.S. attorney and prosecute evildoers, gnobbers, and the like. And, and, and our attitude was one of absolutely, that seems to be a calling for you. God bless you. How can we help you get there best? But she's such a wonderful person. She didn't just come in and say, here's my card. I am out of here. 
Because in what I do for a living, that would leave us in a serious lurch. So she came in and she said, I need to, to move on to this other opportunity. But how can I best do that and leave you in a good solid position here? She's not a Ganaver. See, when, when, when Jacob left his father-in-law, you might be thinking, well, he had a right to move on. He'd done his time. He da-da-da. Yes, but his father-in-law was relying upon him to take care of all of the sheep and to do all of his job. And for 15 plus years, he'd been doing all of that work. And now all of a sudden, he just disappears? That's a ganoving. He ganoved him. We're not to be that way. God is interested in us and we won't be the kind of people we can be if we ganov around. God wants us to have discipline. Look at what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. If you have self-control, you're not going to ganov. You're not going to steal. You're not going to get something that wrongfully. You're not going to wrongfully take status. That's an important thing. God wants us to learn satisfaction. If you feel like you've got a ganav to get something, you're probably not too satisfied with your station in life. But God is interested in you. And he tells you don't ganav as an expression of his interest for you and for me. Paul said this to the Philippians, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And it's not to ganav around. It's that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We don't need to ganav around. We don't need to take wrongfully. We need to learn to be content. Say, well, yeah, but I really want that. One of um, our daughters, uh, not the one who's here today as much as perhaps one of her older sisters, when our daughters went off to college, um, we got them an American Express card with their name on it, but it's on our account with the instructions, this is only to be used in an emergency, an absolute emergency. As in, if you use this, we will call you up panicked about what the emergency is. And it needs to be adequate. So one of our daughters has tried to become on a first name basis with her American Express card. In fact, she calls her Amy. And she will frequently tell us, is Amy interested in me doing this, that, or the other? Now that's an okay thing to do. It's an okay thing to desire things. When God says to be content in everything, that doesn't mean that we don't 
have a, a, a desire to work for things. We've got to see all of this in balance. But the balance is God wants us to learn to work. Ganoving isn't working. It's taking wrongfully. Paul told the Thessalonians in chapter 4 verse 11 to aspire to live quietly and to mind their own affairs and to work with their hands. He wrote them in 2 Thessalonians and said, if anyone's not willing to work, they don't get to eat. We hear among you that there are those who walk in idleness. They're not busy at work, they're busy bodies. Such persons we'll command and encourage in the Lord to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to work to get things. But all of this has got to be kept in balance. You don't work and sacrifice your family. You don't work and sacrifice your ethics. You don't work and sacrifice your kingdom service. But within the balance of these things, work is a good thing. It's a good thing to desire things in godly perspective, with godly priorities. God doesn't deep six that stuff as we're going to see shortly. God encourages it. But this is part of God seeing to your self-care. God tells you you don't get something by cheating. You earn it. You work for it. You seek it from the hand of the Lord. Because God's interested in you. And he's interested in me. And he wants us to grow up to be the most we can be because of that interest in us. Now let me take this a step further. Tell you God is not just interested in you. God is sufficient for you. You don't need to ganav. Ganav is you taking matters into your own hands. You need to look to the Lord to supply for you. God is a giver. He's not a ganaver. God doesn't take wrongfully. God gives rightfully. God doesn't gain by deceit and trickery. God is transparent and true. I'm not saying that we understand all of his ways. But we do understand his character and his ethics. And God says, you don't ganav because you're made in my image. That means you're to reflect me to the world. Don't you go reflecting me as a ganaver. I, I've, I'm trying to change as I get older. I really am trying to change. I promise you I'm trying to change. But there was a time in my life when I would never, ever, ever have put a Christian bumper sticker on my car. Because... I don't want people to think Christians drive like I do. I would be giving God a really bad name. One of the reasons I'm trying to change the way I drive is because Becky one time, Becky where are you? Back there. Becky one time, I don't know if you remember this or not, but one time <laughs> I cut someone off. And, and, and I can be a white knuckle driver for Becky or anybody, um, and I cut them off, and Becky said to me, oh, I think they're in your class. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Ooh, there you 
you go, yeah, let's go, let's go listen to Mark tell us about the Lord if we live through driving around him. Um, I, 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 we reflect the image of God to this world. So we need to do a good job of that. And God's not a ganaver. God does not ganav. God gives. Go back to Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took Adam and put him in a garden to work it and to keep it. God gave Adam property. Said, take care of this. Now, remember I said, don't forget that much of the British system was built off biblical and ecclesiastical law? What I've put up here in this picture, these are called Blackstone's Commentaries. There are four volumes of them. They came out right before the American Revolution. That's William Blackstone. And for the longest time, even in the United States, those were your textbooks when you went to law school. Almost until the early 1900s. And Blackstone's commentaries, um, each one, there are four volumes of them. I think it's the second volume that deals with property. And Blackstone rightly asks this question. What right does anybody have to own property? What right do anyone, does anyone, JC, what right do you have to say this is my house? Says who? It's the law. So what right does the law have to say that? And so Blackstone, in an effort to try and explain why it is okay for humans to own property, uses that passage out of Genesis along with a number of others. And says because God gave people property for possession. You have a biblical teaching that humanity is entitled to own property because God gave it to them. Blackstone also quotes Genesis 15, 18 and following. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to here to here to here to here to here to here to here. God gave it to them. They had a right to be the owners because God gave them that right. The right of possession. Oh, and by the way, if someone says to you possession is nine-tenths of the law, look at them and say, wrong. It's not. But there are legal structures that allow you to own and possess law, land. And we still have that today. If you want to buy a house, you're going to have to pay for a title search. And that title search, you've got a title company that will go back legally and chart every owner of that land. Back to the initial land grant. And that's how you know you've got good, clean title. And someone else doesn't accidentally own part of it. And, 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 and this whole idea is rooted in the commandment, you don't take something wrongfully. Inherent in that commandment is people are allowed to own things. Now, not everybody agrees with this law. It's a biblical law. Not everyone agrees with it. 
If you want to read Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto, he doesn't agree with it. Or didn't, he's dead. But in his Communist Manifesto that he and Engels wrote, chapter 2, in this sense, the theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. The basis of Marxism is individuals should not be allowed to own property. Property is owned by the common state who will then give to each person as the state decides it's proper to give. That's why it is called communism. Now, don't just automatically rub all these terms together, communism and socialism. Socialism is different than communism. But communism, the Marxist ideology is, there's no real ownership of property by anybody except the common ownership. Everybody, the government, will decide what you get and how you get it. And if you live in Cuba, that's the way it is. If you live in China, that's the way it is. Now, those governments are freeing a little bit for some private ownership, but it's still all under the authority of the state, and the state can change it any moment they want to. North Korea, communist government. But the biblical teaching is different. It's that God truly gives you a chance to have ownership in things. And the stewardship responsibility that goes with that ownership, understanding ultimately it's God's. And only God can give you that right. But God himself, he is a giver, he's not a wrongful taker. Look at just the massive number of verses in the Bible. I've pulled out a couple. John 10, 10. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, to ganav, and to kill. Another one of the commandments we talked about last week. And destroy, which is part of killing. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm not a ganaver. God is not a ganaver. God has come to give to give you a good life, to teach you self-discipline, to teach you self-control, to teach you to work, to teach you to become all that you can be. God is a giver. He's not a wrongful taker. How about Romans 8.32? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us will he not also graciously give us all things we worship a God who's the exact opposite of a ganaver our God does not want us to ganav because we're made in his image we're made to be ethical and moral like him we're made to be givers not takers Jesus taught his people over and over and over give Give, give, and it will be given unto you, overflowing, because you, you've got, if you've got an ability to give, you can give more and more and more. Look, I remember Damon Shook, Pastor Damon. How many of y'all were here when he was here? Do you remember Pastor Damon saying one Sunday? When he was talking about tithing, he said, someone said to me, Pastor DeMond, I didn't mind tithing 
when I didn't make very much, but now I make so much money that'd just be ridiculous for me to tithe this much. And Pastor DeMond looked at him and said, well, I'll pray that you make less money so that you can be obedient to the Lord. <laughs> he who did not spare his own son, God is not a stingy God. He's not a, I got to get, I got to get, I got to get. Get it wrongfully, get it however I can. This commandment reflects the character of the most greatest giver of all good gifts there's ever been. We're rolling into Thanksgiving, we're rolling into Christmas. Our thoughts should be dedicated to seeing God as the giving God. How about this? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, God's giving freely eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He gives at the expense of himself. He gives freely. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't sell it. He didn't cut us a deal. He didn't say, okay, here's the deal. You do this, and I'll give you that. And I'm a gracious God, so I'm only going to charge you a discount price. You know, technically you should be giving me a bunch more. But I'm going to let you have it at a bargain price. You know, special price for you today. God doesn't do that. God's a giver. An abundant giver. A free giver. Look at what Jesus said. Long passage. I put it up here because every word's important. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it'll be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, is going to give him a scorpion? And if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God's a giver. He's a massive giver, not a wrongful taker. Massive giver, not a wrongful taker. So if that's how this commandment reflects the character of God, what does it mean for you and me? How do we apply it to ourselves? Let me give you a couple of applications. Number one, I want to grow before the Lord. I want to be better. I don't want to be a stingy giver. I certainly don't want to be a wrongful taker. I want to be generous like my father is generous. I want to grow before the Lord in, in self-discipline. Um, I know a young man who is very carefully austere incredibly generous would give you anything he had but he just doesn't like things he doesn't want to possess he'd be a really good monk and he's he, I, I, one year I was going to get him a Christmas gift and I said you know I, I've got a shirt that I think would really look good on you I'd like to give you a shirt for Christmas but I don't know what size you wear 
And this fellow looked at me and he said, oh, no, no, please don't. I've already got three shirts. And I said, well, you could have four shirts. I don't need four shirts. I do laundry every three days. I said, but you could do laundry every four days. He said, no, I only have three pair of underwear. There, there are extremes, and there is a need to find balance in this world. And God wants us to have a good life, but not a greedy life. And certainly not a life where we're taking wrongfully. We don't need to be Ganavers. Instead... We need to grow before the Lord and let him change the way we see things. We don't need to be conformed to this world. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let God change the way we think. Let God change the way we see things. Let's struggle about this stuff. There's a law professor out at uh, Emory Law School that's a, a pen pal of mine on spiritual things. And this law professor uh, emailed me one time and said, you know, I'm a law professor, my husband is a, a, a doctor, and I struggle trying to understand why we should be allowed to have any possessions, because it seems to me we should just give everything to the poor. And so there was a back and forth email exchange about how to try to find that balance. But that's a really good struggle to have. To really seek before the Lord. How am I doing on being a giver? So I want God to transform me. I want him to grow me up. I want him to teach me to be content. But I also want him to teach me to work hard. I want him to teach me to give. I want to grow before him in these things. And not just roll along with the tide. And not just see who dies with the most toys. Second point that I apply as I look at this for myself. I need to learn to be grateful. Grateful to God. Because every good gift. And every perfect gift. Is from above. Coming down from the father of lights. With whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. He's always been generous. And he will always be generous. He's always been giving. And he will always be giving. He's never been a wrongful taker. He will never be a wrongful taker. He's always tried to give generously to his children. He'll put his life on the line. To give to us. He will sacrifice his son. To give to us. How dare we who follow him. Not only fail to emulate that or copy that. But how dare we not be so grateful to him. For everything that we've got. So um, gratitude is... Uh, is something that, that we need to really nurture in our lives. Um, Becky and I had a chance to be in Colorado this week. And the altitude is really high up there where we were. It's like 9,500 feet. And I just couldn't breathe. 
I mean, I, it was like next to impossible to breathe. We had a great time. It was beautiful. We got snowed in. I mean, it was really, really nice. But I couldn't breathe. We got back Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I wake up. I'm getting my stuff put together. I get an early morning call from my brother Tim Wilson. And he just says to me, hey, I just called because I wanted to know what did you wake up for grateful to the Lord today? And I said that I could breathe. <laughs> Last three mornings I woke up thinking, I can't breathe. <laughs> he said, well, that wasn't very theologically profound. I said, well, it was if you'd seen where I've been. But let's be grateful for the breath we can breathe. Let's be grateful if, if, if our legs hurt, at least our arms don't. Or if our arms hurt, maybe our legs don't. Let's be grateful we have a chance to be around other people and influence them for the Lord. Let's be grateful that we have a chance to, to, to live in this country. We need to be grateful. We also need, point number three, to be content in God and his plans. Contentment. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to grow up and to do better and to get ourselves into something and develop more fully and have more opportunities to bless others. But there's a difference between us zealously pursuing the, the options God has for us, being good stewards, and not being content in God and his plans. And so we need to learn that contentment. We need to learn that contentment Paul spoke of in Philippians 4. Content in plenty, content in want. Because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. That means he can accomplish the plans of God. What more could you ask for in this life? What more could you ask for? than to be used by Almighty God in His plans. And I promise you, He gives you everything you need to do that. So our focus needs to not be on ganoving, stealing, getting wrongfully, wrongful taking. Our focus needs to be on serving the Lord with what He's put in our care. And when we do that, we become more like Jesus, which is the goal of life. Well, I've got to go preach, and so I've got to go get ready because I've got to start thinking about not committing adultery. Not, that did not come out right. <laughs> not that I've been thinking about the alternative. But I do want to tell you that we'll do the rest of uh, the, the commandment I'll put uh, don't lie with don't covet and we'll finish the Ten Commandments next week but right now we, we need to go to church and um, y'all humor me with the first couple of minutes of the sermon where I'm a little bit I'll tell you this I did not use all the same slides that I've used in here with you so at least you've got fresh slides for the review part of the beginning of the sermon can I bless you in the name of Jesus and then we'll go Father we do bless you and I want to pray perhaps more lengthily than I normally do at this point, Lord, but I, I, I really feel a burden.
Father, the burden is that we will give serious, thoughtful, deliberate consideration to how to live in this world but not be of this world. To how to live amongst materialism but not be materialistic. To how to live striving for more but realizing that that more is simply to be used for your kingdom. For how to be content with the plans you have for us and to spend our time and energy trying to find out what your plans are instead of striving after empty wind of our own plans, ideas, and schemes. Father, may we not ganav. May we give. And we thank you for being the giver par excellence, beyond measure, beyond anything we could ask, think, dream, conceive. You've given us so many rich gifts, Father. Relationships that are wonderful. Opportunities that are mind-blowing. Forgiveness that is eternal. Your word that nourishes. We thank you for these and so many other gifts, Father. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.